The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the Real News Communications Network. Welcome to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone, where America's top cleaning expert shows you the ins and outs of keeping a clean home and a clean business. From expert advice to cutting-edge interviews, Debbie uses her 30 years experience to bring you the insight you need to be cleaning up. And now, here's your host, Debbie Sardone. Happy New Year and welcome to our first episode of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. My background is all things cleaning. I've got one of the largest maid services in the country. I provide business consulting and training to other professional maid services around the world. I started the nonprofit Cleaning for a Reason, where we provide free house cleaning services to women who are battling cancer, and I own speedcleaning.com, where we provide green cleaning products, high quality tools and equipment, books and training on how to clean a home in half the time. Today, we're talking about a new you in the new year, and this segment is our Go Get Her segment. You know, the new year always brings fresh starts, big plans, and incredible opportunity. Ask yourself now, how will I spend 2016? These are great days to own a business, but tough times as well. If you don't mind the details, you will quickly be left in the dust. No pun intended, of course. Sometimes it's the simplest concepts that have the most profound effect on your business or work. So today I'm sharing a principle that's near and dear to my heart, really one of my favorite concepts. I hate guesswork and uncertainty, which is why I love numbers and statistics. If you track and measure enough things in your business, you will do very little guessing. You'll literally be able to run your business by the numbers instead of reacting to the next crisis. My philosophy, track everything. If it matters, track it. If you track it, you can measure it. And if you measure it, you can improve it. At my office, we know exactly how many prospect calls come in every single day. Every call is tracked in a notebook. We track how many prospects convert to a sale. We track how many sales convert to a recurring client. If you do this in a short period of time, you will know if you convert at 50% or 80% or 10% or whatever is the norm for your industry. Norms will emerge. There aren't wild mood swings in the data if you track it consistently. There just isn't. Norms will always emerge. Measure what matters. Take the guesswork out of your business. From the early days of my business, before I even had a computer, <laughs> for some people they have no idea what a world would be like without computers, but before I even had a computer, I tracked sales weekly. I measured those sales against my direct labor costs. Nowadays we call that cost of goods sold if you use QuickBooks. I used this with pencil, paper, and eraser. And I tracked my overhead costs. So I tracked my sales, my direct labor or cost of goods sold, and I tracked my overhead costs. Keeping these numbers separate makes it easy for me to identify a problem. I know at a glance if my labor cost is too high or if my overhead has gotten out of control, if it's too high, I know at a glance how it measures against my revenue that's coming in each month. I also track and measure my new sales against my marketing cost each month. This information leads me to my customer acquisition cost. Do you know what it costs you to obtain one new customer? You must know this if you hope to grow your business in 2016 using marketing. Guesswork is expensive. If you don't know how much it costs to obtain one new client, then you don't know how much to spend on marketing in order to reach your goals for the new year. For example, if it costs me $200 in marketing on average to obtain one new regular recurring client, then I'll have to spend at least $2,000 a month 
if I plan to add 10 new clients a month this new year? It's simple math. There's no guesswork, no tricks, no luck involved. And that's the good news, really. Just simple math. That's all it takes when you're tracking and measuring. My philosophy, know thy numbers. And you can run your business by the numbers instead of guesswork. Commit now in the new year to know your numbers and track and measure everything that matters in your business. When we come back, we'll go right into our experts advice segment. More of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone is next on the Real News Communications Network. Hi, this is John Bon Jovi asking you to go to serve.gov to get involved in something you believe in. I'm a big believer in the power of we. We can tackle the tough challenges we face and build community through service and volunteering. The reality is we're all in this together. It's time for you to raise your hand and make a difference. United we stand, united we serve. How will you raise your hand when they call your name? Are you with me? We weren't born to follow. Come on Go to serve.gov for more information about how to volunteer in your community. This message is brought to you by United We Serve and the Corporation for National and Community Service. Got a few bills in your pocket and you hit a happy hour with your friends. Hey man, grab a beer. Now, fast forward. Uh-oh. You just got a DWI, mano. Time in jail. Up to $17,000 in fees and fines. Want to keep good times from going all bad? Happy hour tonight. Can I call you when I'm done to get a ride home? Line up a sober driver before you go out. Because if you get a DWI... There's no going back. Drink, drive, go to jail. A message from TxDOT. Save a life. You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. Welcome back. We just wrapped up our Go Get Her segment on the Real News Communications Network. This is Debbie Sardone with Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone. Welcome to a new year, a new you, and a new show. This is our expert advice segment. Each week in this segment, we will hear from expert authors, business owners, and consultants. Today, my first guest for this episode one of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone is advice from yours truly, me, with over 30 years of business experience and four successful businesses that run without my day-to-day involvement, I thought I'd start the show by sharing one of my favorite books with you and the principles that will impact your life, work, and bottom line. Even though I've been using these principles in my business for over 30 years, I didn't really have a name for it until I read The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. I've always understood the compound effect of doing little things every day, every week, every month to create big things by the end of the year. I just didn't know what to call it. You can call it the compound effect. You can call it the slight edge, but make sure you understand this simple yet profound truth. That is of turning simple disciplines into profound success. Here's the thing. These simple little disciplines are easy to do, but they are also easy not to do, and that's the problem. Let me give you an example of a simple discipline that creates massive success, and this is kind of funny because this was something I observed with my husband years ago when we were first married, and I noticed that whenever he bought a brand new pair of good leather shoes, and you know how men are, they only have one or two pairs of shoes, brown and black. Whereas us women, we need leopard shoes, red shoes, blue shoes, black shoes, every color in the rainbow. I have hot pink shoes, you name it, we have to have it. But he had two pairs of shoes, brown and black. And of course they're leather and his shoes are, are good quality. And I noticed whenever he bought shoes, 
he would buy a new pair of cedar shoe trees and he would push those shoe trees down into his leather shoes every time he took them off. Now, you know, most of us, we flip our shoes off at the end of a long, hard day. And the last thing we want to do is fool with them. We just sort of flip them off and go get in our comfy house shoes and go on about our way, our, our house shoes and go on about our way. But he would take the extra few seconds, which seems like a lifetime when it's a task, but he would take the extra few seconds and he would shove those cedar shoe trees into his shoes. Well, here's what I noticed. You know, the warmth of the shoes from wearing them all day makes them a little bit moist and sweaty. Those shoe trees filled up the shoes tightly and kept his leather shoes from developing a crease or a ridge in the leather. They literally looked brand new year after year. The man could wear shoes more years than anybody I've ever seen, and they look brand new. And I started noticing other men and their shoes. I would notice who uses shoe trees and who doesn't. I could literally see other people, even if they had nice expensive leather shoes, I could see those ridges and creases that form over time. And I could see other shoes that men were wearing without leather creasing and ridges. And what I noticed was just that small habit, that little discipline of stuffing those shoe trees in his shoes every time he took them off instead of going oh I'm too tired I don't I don't want to fool with this it kept his shoes looking brand new literally saving the shoes for longer periods of time now I don't know a woman that would want to do that because I want a new pair of shoes about every six to nine months but for people who care that's a principle that works and I gave that silly little story as an example of the slight edge and how small disciplines reap massive results over a long period of time. Would his shoes have looked bad the first or second or third or fourth time he wore them and just took them off and stuck them on a shelf? No, it would have taken months for the shoes to eventually have those deep creases and ridges. Eventually, that wouldn't have repaired. They just would have looked kind of old and wrinkly and grungy and he would have had to gotten a new one. Um, he actually wears out the soles of his shoes before the top looks bad. So how does this apply in business? In business, I applied this principle of the slight edge to growth. I decided years ago to track and measure everything in my business. In business, everything that mattered, I would track it. I never slacked off. I never used the excuse, oh, we're too busy this month. The result, years later, I know exactly what my customer conversion rates are. I know what it costs to obtain one new customer. I applied the principles of the slide edge recently to a marketing concept that I was sharing with one of my clients. And it's these small little disciplines done day in, day out that seem insignificant that add up to a big difference. So I was talking with one of my clients and she said, I really can't afford to do marketing right now. Well, I asked her, could you afford to print just a thousand postcards a week? Could you afford to print them? And she said, of course, yes. Print, you know, print, printing postcards these days is really cheap. There's all kinds of online sources, and especially if you're not buying postage and, and mailing them. So she agreed she could afford to print a thousand postcards a week. So I explained to her the principle of five arounds. And she has a service business like mine, I own a maid service, but this principle will apply to any business, especially a service business. And I explained to her, apply the principle of five arounds. And that's where you take five postcards, marketing pieces for your business, and you put those five postcards around every home you service every single day. How hard is that? I mean, to walk to five homes around the home you're servicing, whether you are a pest control service, a carpet cleaning service, a window washing service, a maid service, a handyman service, it doesn't matter. If you apply the principle of five arounds, it's a very short time before you have literally put thousands of postcards on doors around the homes you service. So for example, she has five teams in her company and those teams are teams of two. So that's 10 employees placing five postcards around each house they service every single day. Now, each of her teams service at least three jobs a day, at least three jobs a day. So each team can place 30 postcards 
around those three jobs a day, those jobs they're already at, guess what? That's 150 postcards a day for all five teams. In a week, that's 750 postcards. In a month, that's over 3,200 postcards. And those are being strategically placed in the neighborhoods that they've already demonstrated to be a high-value demographic for their business. This is a neighborhood where people are already hiring them to perform their services. All of this is done without paying postage or making really much of an effort whatsoever. Not buying a mailing list, not trying to figure out, gee, where do I mail these postcards? In a year, in just a year, she will have placed over 40 or nearly 40,000 postcards. If you do the math, she will have placed nearly 40,000 postcards in the neighborhoods they strategically target for services. She was actually astonished at the results of the principle of the slight edge and how she could apply that using the method of five arounds to market her business without making a big deal about it or making a huge investment. The problem is it's easy to do but it's easy not to do. And I suspect she still hasn't implemented my suggestion of printing up cheap postcards and doing five arounds every single day. Easy to do, easy not to do. If you're in sales, you can use the principle of the slide edge to get going every day. People who are in sales have to be self-starters anyway, and sometimes it's really hard to get started and to get going just to achieve those goals that you've set for yourself. So what I like to think about when it comes to using the slight edge in sales is break everything down to a manageable task. Don't start the month with, oh brother, I have to win five new sales this month. How am I gonna do that? Instead, look at it, instead of from an overwhelming picture and then giving up before you start, look at it by breaking it down. So for example, how many face-to-face -face meetings does it actually take to make one new sale? You will know that for your industry. I know that for my industry. Let's say, for example, it's three to one. You need three meetings to win one sale. Well, how many phone calls does it take to get someone to say yes just to a face-to-face -face meeting? That's all you're trying to do right now. Let's not go into overwhelm. You're just trying to book face-to-face -face meetings. Don't worry about making a sale. Book some meetings. So let's just say, for example, it takes three phone calls to book one meeting. If you want to win five new clients this month, you'll need to make 15 meetings. In order to book 15 meetings with our three-to-one principle, you need to make 45 phone calls. We're breaking it down. We're making it simple. It's a slight edge principle. If you break that down by the week, you'll need to make 10 to 11 calls per week. That's just two a day and you'll book your three face-to-face -face appointments. If you do this consistently, if you do this day in, day out, it's easy to do and you'll achieve your goals, but it's also easy to blow it off for the day and plan to just double up next time and never reach your goals. That's the principle of the slight edge. Break it down, make it into a manageable a task and do it every single day. Follow the steps without hesitation. Make it a habit. The principles of the slight edge. It's easy to do, it's easy not to do, and this is why so many people don't. Get your spouse, get your employees, even your children to read this book, The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. It's one of those books that will change your life if you understand and follow the principles. It's not just for business. It's for your job if you're in corporate America. It's for your school habits if you're in college or you're still in, in high school. These principles work in every single day life. It's a new year. Now create a new you. Coming up next is our Go Give Her segment. And trust me, it's not what you think. And then stay tuned for our final segment today as we talk quality of life. And I really have enjoyed my stay. More of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone is next on the Real News Communications Network. This is my car. car. I mean, it's nothing fancy, but it's nice. nice. Gets me to work and 
to the mall, though it's kind of trash with all my stuff. stuff. I swear there must be 30 CDs laying around in my workout bag. Oh, and my laptop. Laptop. Like I said, a mess, right? It's perfect. But it's perfect for me. Good gas mileage, and once it's paid off, all mine. All mine. Hey, want to go for a drive? Let me get my purse. Just be a second. Just takes a second. Where you are, they are. Last year in Texas, car thieves stole roughly 100,000 cars and trucks and burglarized thousands more. They look for anything of value inside or if you left your keys or failed to lock the doors. When you leave your vehicle, hide your things, lock your car, and take your keys. Remember, you hold the key. Okay, I'm back. And my car? Where's my car? My this warning from the Texas Auto Burglary and Theft Prevention Authority. Today, nearly half our nation's fighting forces are members of the Guard and Reserve. When they are called to active duty, they leave behind a family, a community, and a job. Employer support of the Guard and Reserve, a Department of Defense agency, honors and protects the bond between service members and their civilian employers. Whether serving our country or supporting those who do, we all serve. To learn more about ESGR, call 1-800-336-4590 or visit esgr.mil. You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. We're back with Episode 3 of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. This is our Go Giver segment. John D. Rockefeller, America's first billionaire, said, If your only goal is to become rich, you'll never achieve it. Well, you might not ever get rich, but not for the reasons you might think. Are you a go-giver or are you a go-getter? Which is it? There is a difference. I get that we all want to get ahead, but in business or at work, there is a principle called the abundance theory. Too many business owners are afraid to give away what they do for a living. They fear that providing free somehow means that they'll diminish their value. Uh, oftentimes they think if they give away what they do for a living, people won't appreciate the prices that they charge. The opposite is actually true. When you give, you can actually assess a value even higher than you might normally accept. The value of your giving is never discounted. How many of us have had to discount our rate just to make a sale? Well, when you give away what you do for a living, you are literally giving it away at full price value. Now, it doesn't have any impact with the IRS, but the reality is the perception of your product or service is a full price value gift. Giving never devalues. The opposite is always true. Giving makes your services or your products seem more worthy of the price you charge. In business, we must learn to adopt a more abundance mentality and avoid that scarcity line of thinking. In the early days of my consulting business, I gave away far more time than I charged for. I was truly helping business owners who were stuck and were frustrated and literally ready to fold. And I gave away hours and hours of advice. Now I'm one of the top paid industry consultants in the cleaning industry. Give away what you do, whether it's a product or a service, and that abundance mentality will come back many times over, many, many times over. Scarcity thinking makes us tend to react out of fear. You know, oh no, if I do this for free, they'll never pay me. They'll never hire me. They'll always expect it for free. And that's what sometimes people think. That's that scarcity thinking, and it causes us to react out of fear. Quite the opposite happened. I know for myself in my consulting business, when I would give away free advice, inadvertently, the person would say, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I needed to hear. Can I hire you to work with me on a regular basis? So giving it away for free actually added value to my service. Scarcity thinking limits our potential. Tons of people got to try before they buy when I was an unknown consultant. They'd never heard of me. They weren't going to take a chance with me on my fees, 
but getting a little bit of my information for free made them willing to take a chance on my fees after they had a chance to try before they buy. Scarcity thinking keeps us from growing. I've grown past several of our of my own competitors in my industry, my consulting industry, simply because I wasn't afraid to give away what I did for a living. So it will hold you back. It will keep you from growing when most people think the opposite is true. Here's another example of scarcity thinking. If you're worried that your lack of growth or uh, lack of obtaining new customers has something to do with your competition, then you have a scarcity mindset. I talk to business owners all the time that think their competition is limiting your growth. You're afraid that there aren't enough customers out there to go around for all of us. I see this even in the networking world. I've seen people give a chilly response to their competition at a networking meeting. Why do they do that? It's because they have a scarcity mindset. They're afraid if they get a customer that will keep me from getting a customer and it's just not true. I've been to networking meetings where I've encountered other maid service owners and I've always tried to reach out and, and provide a warm friendly response even though we're in the exact same business. We are direct competitors and I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a chilly response from people that, you know, hi, how are you? <laughs> they don't want to talk to me. And sometimes I kind of force myself on them. I want to be friendly with other competitors because I've learned over the years that if I fail or if I succeed, it really has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with me. I get it now. I really get it. You know, I, I used to fret obviously whenever a new competitor would emerge in my own market. And I, of course, would have, you know, I have worried too much about them and what they were doing and, and not enough about me and what I was doing. And I have learned over the years that whatever they do really has very little impact on whether I grow or whether I shrink in, in business. The fact is I figured out one day uh, when I was doing the math, as, as you know from my other segments, it's all about the math, it's all about the numbers. And I figured out one day that I only needed 350 regular repeat customers to reach my goal of grossing a million dollars a year in my business. Instead of focusing on what my competition was doing, I actually started focusing on what I was doing and how to do it better and how to do it more and how to do what we do best. I stopped focusing on my competitors and started focusing on my business, my customers, my prospects, and what they could get from me how to make sure they could find me through marketing those are the things I began to focus on guess what I forgot about my competition it wasn't long before we were one of the largest maid services in the country and now I get to do business consulting with other business owners in my industry stop thinking small stop thinking so scarce it's scarcity thinking if they get a new customer I won't and that kind of thinking will definitely hold you back scarcity thinking in business keeps you from moving forward it keeps you in fear mode instead of growth mode An abundance mentality will actually move you forward of course it kind of seems counterintuitive to give away to give back to be thinking of others it seems kind of counterintuitive like I gotta focus on survival I gotta focus on me but that really is the opposite of what happens in abundance thinking and having that go-giver mentality. How does giving cultivate getting? The opposite seems so much more natural. If you're going to get, you should grab. Isn't that what it seems like it should be? But it is the opposite. And the opposite is abundance thinking. Are you a go-giver or are you just a go-getter? And you know what? People know the difference. They know the difference between the takers and the givers. They can spot them in a room. Do you only chase the almighty dollar or do you give, give, give? Abundance thinking spills out in everything you do in your business. When someone asks you, let's say, for example, at a networking meeting, hey, can you donate again like you did last year? Do you dread facing them? 
are you thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't run into them. They're always asking for something. Or are you instantly able to respond with, oh, I'd be happy to give again this year. I love giving to you guys. I love being a part of your organization. They're always asking for something, you know, gifts for their silent auction or whatever. Do you meet that request with dread, wishing you had not bumped into them? Or are you happy to give and give and give? When a good client needs a favor for a friend in need, do you give it to them or do you sell it to them? The natural inclination is to sell it. I mean, this is what we do. And it certainly wouldn't be wrong. It wouldn't be unethical. The natural inclination is to sell it. But that truly is a more scarcity mindset, a more abundant mindset when you have a client who needs a favor, who has a friend in need, is to not capitalize on the need and to not prosper from your client trying to help another human being. It's kind of counterintuitive, but think about turning that around and giving. You know what? You'd, it'd be difficult to ever get fired from that client again. Um, many of us have been fired over the years for silly things, mistakes we've made in our business. But when you have that kind of an impact on one of your loyal clients, they tend to be clients for life. And then if you do give, don't give subpar. Don't go find the old outdated model of the product and give that. Don't give a subpar level of service that you normally would provide. Give of your best. Don't cheap out on your giving. When a good client has a need for themselves, do you take advantage or do you make that an opportunity to give abundantly? I'm going to give you an example of something that happened in my business several years ago and I've never regretted it. And I didn't know at the time that I was actually demonstrating the abundance theory. I had no idea. I didn't understand the the big words for everything. But I do understand now the principle that was at work in my business because I had an abundance mentality. I had one of my most loyal clients. She's probably been with me more than 25 years now. She works out of town all year long and she's only in town a few months a year. And it was just before the holidays. I believe it was right before Thanksgiving and she called me up and said, I need a complete spring cleaning at my house. I've got all my kids coming home. She had five children. I've got all my kids coming home from college. They're bringing friends. We're going to have a big uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And I need a spring cleaning. I need my carpets cleaned. I need the house in tip-top shape. And, of course, that was a nice big ticket item. So we, we sold her big spring cleaning. I think it was over $400. We sold her about a $500 carpet cleaning job. And that was a nice, sweet job right there before Thanksgiving. A week later, maybe it was less than a week later, probably about five days later, she called up and said, you're not going to believe this, but we had a water leak, a pipe burst in our house, and the house got flooded. We're having um, the pipe repaired, so that means they're sawing into sheetrock, and there's dust and filth everywhere, and the wet carpets are going to have to be re-cleaned and stretched and trimmed to fit back, and then, of course, I'm going to have to have a full-blown spring cleaning all over again. And so she was calling me to book all of this work again. Now, there would have been nothing unethical about me capitalizing on her misfortune. It wouldn't have been unethical. This is what we do for a living. We clean. But in that moment, I made the split decision to not capitalize on her pain and to not capitalize on her misfortune. This was a good client. And it was just one of those things that happened. And I said to her, I said, you know what? If you just cover my labor costs, we will do your spring cleaning at cost. And I'll ask my carpet cleaning guy if he'll give you a break on the price. And I'll also ask him if he can do the stretching and the retacking of your carpet. She was ecstatic. I mean, I could have made another 200, 250 bucks in profit off of her. But instead, I gave her the cleaning at cost. I got her a little discount on the carpet cleaning because that wasn't our job. And she was thrilled. I think what was more important is she was impressed with the fact that I wasn't willing to make money off her misfortune. And again, it wouldn't have been wrong. It wouldn't have been unethical. And most people really wouldn't even think to offer their services at cost um, when someone has had this misfortune. But when you're thinking more of an abundance mentality 
instead of that scarcity mentality. I mean, I could have looked at my checkbook and went, I can't give her this at cost. <laughs> We're trying to meet payroll this month. We're trying to meet our rent. We have a new computer we have to buy. I could justify every business reason in the world not to give her the cleaning at cost, but I do want to embrace an abundance, a giving mentality in my business. And what I've observed over the years is it comes back tenfold. This is one of those clients, I think we could break her most expensive lamp in the house and we would never get fired. It's just one of those relationships where she values our service far above the quality that we deliver. Because quite honestly, none of us can nail quality 100% of the time. On our best days, we're good. And on our worst days, we're bad. And this is when we get fired, is on our worst days. But when you have a client who values your business relationship far above the quality of today's service, then you have a customer for life. You have a customer that's not going anywhere for a $5 coupon or a $10 discount from your competitor. They are going to be loyal for life. And it is that abundance mindset that creates those types of relationships where clients aren't going anywhere because they value the relationship. What's really interesting is those five kids have all grown up, they've gotten married, they have families of their own, and I think at least three of them have hired our service. And I could just hear the conversations around the Thanksgiving table that day when they were telling their, their horror story about how the house got cleaned and the carpets got cleaned and then the pipes broke and the big mess happened and how they had to hire us again to come out and clean. And I guarantee you part of that story was, and you're not going to believe it, but my cleaning service didn't charge me anything but the cost of their labor. And so I can imagine those conversations took place. And I believe that that's one of the reasons why year after year after year, that customer isn't going anywhere. Services have come and gone. Cheap deals have come and gone. But those customers that feel a deep sense of loyalty with your business for more than the product or the quality or the service you deliver. That, that deep sense of loyalty comes from some other place than that just the service you delivered. Now that's the abundance theory. That is the go-givers mentality. Abundance begets abundance. Scarcity begets scarcity. In other words, you get what you give. So don't go away. Coming up next in segment four, we're talking about quality of life, and you don't want to miss that. It was an early morning yesterday. I was up before the dawn. More of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone is next on the Real News Communications Network. I'm a third grade teacher. I'm a school bus driver. I am a parent. I am a teacher's aide. And I agree to be identified as a caring adult who pledges to help bullied students. I will listen carefully to all students who seek my help. And act on their behalf. To put an immediate stop to bullying. I will work with other caring adults to create a safe learning environment for all the students in my school. In my school. In my school. In my school. I'm Dennis Van Roekel, president of the National Education Association. Help us create safe, bully-free learning environments for all students. One caring adult can make all the difference. Be that adult and take the pledge at nea.org slash bullyfree. Adults have the power to stop bullying in our schools. It starts with me. It starts with me. It starts with me. It starts with me. Bully free. It starts with me. Visit nea.org slash bully free. A message from the National Education Association. I was all geared up for the party where I'd finally meet Kate, my dream girl. But there was no party. All because I got the flu. If only I got a flu vaccine. Sam got one. Sam went to the party. And he's going to another one tonight with Kate. Which I'm missing since four days later. I'm still down with aches, chills, and fever. Flu is a serious illness for everyone, even really healthy people. So get vaccinated. Find a location nearby at flu.gov. Brought to you by HHS. You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. And we're back. You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. 
This is segment four, quality of life. The number one frustration I hear from business owners I consult with is that they lack quality of life. They don't run their business, their business runs them. Most entrepreneurs and successful managers in corporate America trade quality of life for success. Why do people settle for an either or outcome? It's because of their scarcity thinking. We think if we give up one thing like working 90 hours a week, we'll lose something else like success, advancement, progress, growth, you fill in the blank. If you're driven like I am, working all the time is easy especially if you have a laptop and the internet. You can work at night. You can work on vacation. You can work on Sunday. In fact, it can become a habit, even a crutch. A crutch simply means something else isn't working. Something else is broken and we're compensating for it. If you want quality of life, you have to replace the crutch, and that is overworking, with some knowledge, skills, new habits. Those are the three things that you'll have to replace that crutch or that bad habit of overworking. Knowledge, skills, new habits. Let's talk about knowledge. Knowledge is when you learn there is a better way to get more done without spending more hours to do it. Knowledge is knowing you can still succeed and achieve without trading quality of life for reaching your goals. One of my favorite books, and it seems like every book I'm reading happens to be my favorite one at the time, but one of my favorite books is Built to Sell by John Warlow. This is a brilliant book. It's about how to get your business ready to sell. The problem is most business owners or managers will never read this book until it's too late. If you're not even close to selling your business, then you might think this book isn't really for you. The problem is the day you decide it's time to sell your business, it's almost too late to read this book. The principles of getting a business ready to sell are the same principles of creating a business that runs successfully without you. The principles for quality of life as a business owner. If your business cannot run without you, then it's next to impossible to have quality of life because it's constantly dependent upon you showing up every single day and grinding it out. You can follow the principles in John's book to help you create a business that runs without you, the owner being chained to the desk, whether you intend to sell that business or not. Who doesn't want a business that runs itself while the owner collects a paycheck or takes a vacation? or never comes in on Mondays and Fridays, whatever happens to be important to you. I became an absentee owner probably a good five or six years ago. I had to have a business that would run smoothly without me in the office every single day. Otherwise, I would have been dragged back into the day-to-day -day operations to mitigate the chaos. Creating a business that runs without me was always a priority in the early days of my business. I mean, it, it's been years, years that I spent building a business that I could show up at 10 a.m. and leave at 3 p.m., be off on Mondays, be off on Fridays, even when I was planning on being involved in the day-to-day -day operations. I started 20 years ago creating a business that would run without me. I always believed that every time I mastered a new task or skill that I needed to quickly fire myself and train someone else to do it. Of course, I would oversee the process. Of course, I would monitor the progress and I would help tweak it as it needed adjusting. But I would always plan to fire myself as soon as I mastered a new skill. It started with sales. As soon as I got good at sales and it was time to hand that off, I handed it off to someone I trained. Bookkeeping, same thing. That was easy because I hated it. <laughs> that was a chore for me. As soon as I could afford the manpower to help me out in the office, I handed that job off to someone else. What I'm talking about right now is learning how to delegate. And you know what's the most difficult thing for an entrepreneur, especially when it comes to delegating? We are perfectionists. We know we're probably the best person in the office to sell. 
oftentimes we're the very best person to handle that serious customer service complaint. Oftentimes we're the best person to handle the scheduling because we're going to optimize everybody's schedules. We're going to make sure everyone's as full as they can be if you're a service business. So the problem with the entrepreneur slash owner is we tend to be perfectionists. We know that we are the best at each task in the business and it's even harder for us to hand off that skill and delegate it to someone else. Stop thinking about, man, it would be done better if I did it myself and start thinking about, man, I could take a vacation if I would learn to delegate. Stop thinking about, oh, I would have closed that sale if I had been the one out there selling and start thinking about, ah, I could take off on Fridays and golf every week. So we're focused on the wrong things and that's why we don't delegate and that's why we don't have quality of life. Our focus is perfection and our focus should be quality of life, which means sometimes we settle for less than perfect. In the entrepreneur's mind, less than perfect is failure, but that's not what your customer thinks. In fact, most of our customers do not demand or expect perfection. That's a standard that we created. In fact, sometimes we spoil our best customers by teaching them to expect perfection. What our customers want is consistency and excellence and that is far from perfection so in order to learn to delegate as an entrepreneur as the business owner who is wanting some quality of life you need to understand that when you abandon perfection you are not embracing mediocrity you still need to embrace excellence you still need to have high standards but you need to change your standards from perfection and shift to excellence Excellence, you can teach that to an employee. Perfection, only you can deliver. By creating a business that can run without me, I have the freedom to do the things that I want instead of spending 90 hours grinding it out or hanging on in business. Some of the things that I've been able to do in my business as an absentee owner, I was able to build a nonprofit. If you haven't heard of it, it's cleaning for a reason. We have helped over 20,000 women receive the gift of free house cleaning services through a network of maid services all across the nation. That delegating of responsibilities to my staff and requiring excellence instead of perfection enabled me to start a nonprofit. What would you do with the extra hours in your week if you learned to delegate, if you weren't micromanaging every process in your business? I was able to start a consulting business. I'm able to work from home and, and talk by phone with cleaning business owners all around the world and help them grow their business. I love it. It's fun. I enjoy it. I, I get a deep satisfaction when I help another business owner. What would you do if you use your business knowledge and expertise? What would you do with that? Would you donate it? Would you launch a consulting business? Would you start a nonprofit? Maybe you would start another business. Think of the things you would like to do, and all of a sudden, being a micromanaging perfectionist will be less important. So start focusing on the things you want to do and less on how you can perfect everything in your business. Ask yourself, what would I do with the freedom that I would have if I delegated, if I uh, created a standard of excellence instead of perfectionism? Some people would retire. I don't really get that. I'll probably work till I'm 100. Some people would take up a hobby. They might donate their time to the mission field or some project, service project. Whatever it is, if you're focused on that goal, that will help you create quality of life because it will help you get out of the trenches and help you learn to delegate and settle for excellence. And I use the word settle kind of tongue in cheek. Excellence is definitely not settling. But it feels like it's settling when you've always demanded perfectionism of yourself. If you can't take a two-week vacation without checking in on your business, then you don't have a business that can run smoothly without you. I don't care how hard your industry is. I mean, there's nothing more difficult than the service industry of cleaning houses and managing women and the delicate details of cleaning a home. It's a hard industry. 
but I am an absentee owner and you can be an absentee owner in your industry. There is a path to creating a business that you aren't chained to every single day. That path begins with knowledge, skills, and a new set of habits. Of course, you have to grow your business to the size it needs to be. I'm not talking about slacking off or becoming an absentee owner when your business is still trying to reach its goals. But once your business is the size that it needs to be, you can get your business and your quality of life under control. Properly incentivize staff. This is one of the most important things when you aren't going to be showing up every single day cracking that whip. Having staff that you have carefully handpicked and have carefully incentivized to keep the business going, to grow the business, to take good care of the business, those are key elements. Don't keep bad staff around. You know, one thing I learned, a, a, a statement I heard from Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful on the Shark Tank, is the first time you get a feeling that you should fire an employee he says do it. And I actually have learned in my own business that keeping around bad employees or, or mediocre employees just because it's so hard to replace them and train a new one actually hurts my business and it keeps me from being able to delegate. Then that forces me to show up every day and monitor their behavior and check on their progress and micromanage those people. And so I've, I've never forgotten that statement. The first time you get a gut feeling that you should fire someone, you probably should. Most of the principles that I'll be sharing on cleaning up with Debbie Sardone will lead to one thing, a business that can run smoothly and successfully without the owner's constant day-to-day -day participation. These principles will ensure profits, sustainability, and quality of life. And one without the other is not quality of life. Of course, we have to have profits. When we work this hard and have this much responsibility, we want to be paid well for it. But we also need sustainability. I need to know that my business will be here five years from now. And that quality of life is available to me as a hardworking business owner. One without the other is out of balance. And just like tires on a car that need to be balanced for the car to run right, so do we need balance in our business for long-term success and satisfaction. So let's not just define success only in terms of profitability. There are a lot of businesses that are profitable, but the owner is miserable. The business runs them instead of them running their business. So that wraps up our first episode. Thanks so much for joining us on Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. Please listen weekly and be sure to follow me and provide some feedback on Facebook at Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone and then follow me on Twitter at Debbie Sardone.